0: Welcome to Series 3, Episode 3, with John Parkin, a player who served York City across two spells. The first spell initially started as a loan from Barnsley before he made a permanent switch to Bootham Crescent, where he became a mainstay of Terry Dolan's team. He left York for Macclesfield before moving on to the likes of Hull City, Stoke and Preston, where he gained a reputation for being a real handful for any championship defender. His later career saw John move down the leagues before joining York for a second time in 2016 with the brief of keeping York City in the National League. John Parkin quickly re-established himself as a firm favourite with supporters and here he discusses all things York City. If you enjoy these podcasts, then please consider donating to the station at justgiving.com forward slash york hospital radio justgiving.com forward slash york hospital radio your donations really do make a huge difference to the charity hospital ball is a spin-off from york hospital radio the views of the guests are their own and don't necessarily
1: represent the views of the station but without further
0: ado here is john
1: parkin so, John, well over 200 goals across your career, but I thought we'd start by talking about the first one you ever scored, and that was on your York City debut in February 2002. Feels a long time ago now, away to Southend United. What, what are your memories of that of that game and, and and the goal that you scored? I
2: can remember the game, and I was I was sort of 19. I'd not really played much for not not started many first team games anyway. i not for for a year or so and I'm, I remember just how tired I were to be honest I was absolutely shattered my first game in League 2 I played most of my games at centre half for Barnsley which is a lot of, a lot easier let me tell you I can just remember being tired and it's quite, it's quite a big pitch down there uh, is it Roots Hall it's, That's it right. is I think it was in the last sort of 10 minutes to goal and I think Potsy Graham Potter got the ball on the like sort of just inside the half, and I've been peeled off, and he's put a great diagonal. He's got a good left foot, to be fair, Popsy. Great left foot, and he's put a diagonal, and I've just sort of headed it back across goal. Fortunately for me, it's gone in, and and it, that was sort of the first the first goal in my career. And I remember wanting to go off celebrating mad, but I was just thinking I'm too tired. I'm too tired to run about. So, yeah, I can still remember the goal. I can't remember them all, but I can I can certainly remember that one.
1: Yeah, and the, that that goal was obviously part of a, a loan spell that you had, but. it, it sort of says in your book that you were you were quite keen to make that move permanent. It was kind of more you than than Yorks that Yorks maybe didn't think you'd want to come, but but you kind of instigated that move with Terry.
2: Yeah, I think that well, that, would, that would, it was would a little bit strange because to be honest, I had a little bit I had a bad time at the pool and I'd gone up there for a couple of months and not really played and or well, not played at all. Five minutes I played and I was actually thinking about chucking it. I thought it's not for me this football. I got treated badly by the man, the then manager at Barnsley, of Steve Parkin and. And I was, I was really thinking about chucking it at the end of that season. And I got the phone call from the agent saying, York, York want you to come on a, a month's loan. And I thought, oh, fantastic. I'll go and give it a go. Funny enough, I played the first game, obviously, centre forward. And then I think the second game for York were at Halifax away. And I played first half up front and second half centre half, which were a little, bit, uh, a little bit of a surreal circumstance. But yeah, it got to the end of the month. And Terry Dolan just said, we'd like to take you for a for another month, and I just said, well, what? Would, I really enjoyed it, would you want to make it a permanent thing? And he sort of were a little bit surprised, he was like, what, what you'd, you'd sign for us permanent? And we're like, yeah, yeah, why, why not? As I said, I've been my month. He says, right, we'll get your agent to phone me and we'll sort it out, and it was literally sorted out, we had a couple of days, and,
1: and then I signed, and, and that, was, that was that. And what was what, Terry Dolan like to play for? Because I think some of the fans found him a little bit dour at times, but what, what was he like as a manager?
2: It uh, was good he was good he's a bit of a victim Meldrew, grumpy old so and so in he, but no as I say I really enjoyed it, and it was the first time that I'd been in the like a first team squad like every day at Barnsley, I were in and out, and I had a few injuries and, and whatever. It was the first time I was in we were the group of older professionals day in day out, and so, as I said I really enjoyed it, but Teddy were good as gold
1: he, I, I enjoy working for him, to be honest. And you said before you, you kind of you know you'd play centre half you'd play up up front and stuff like that. At that stage of your career, what, what did you consider was your best position? I'm not actually sure to be honest. I mean, centre half. Well, I, I found it quite easy
2: to be honest. I don't mean that in a big-headed way, but I was, especially at York, I was playing in a, the right of a three centre half we were playing back then, and we'd got Brassy in behind us. He was bloody deep, than like Titanic Brassy. So you always knew that you'd got some recovering. And I, I found it quite easy. Just get the ball and just play up the line or whatever. I was just happy to be playing, to be honest. I was happy to be playing football, which from sort of a month prior I was thinking about just chucking it and, and leaving football and doing something else. So I was just happened to be playing football.
1: So it's almost like it gave you a new lease of life then coming to York and that, that, you you kind of, not just your career, but your life could have changed completely differently if maybe you'd not signed for York City.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I, if I had not signed for York City, I, I, I'm very, very sure I would have chucked it at the end of that season and 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 not whether I'd have got back into it at a later stage or whatever, I don't know. But yeah, I really thought it's it's not for me this.
1: You know, that, that season you helped keep the club up. And then your first full season was the season where John Bachelor kind of rebranded the club as York City Soccer Club. And you had that, that shirt on with the chequered yeah, um, motor racing thing. I mean, from a fan's point of view, we all thought it was absolutely bonkers what was going on at the time. How did you feel as players? pretty much the same, but to be honest, as players, you don 't really
2: think about that side of it you 're just concentrating on your your own game and so whatever 's happening at the top of the club it 's not really anything to do with you. It obviously started affecting players when when we didn 't get paid for among six weeks uh, that 's obviously a, a totally different a different thing, but we were just like, well, just it, it, is a bit, it seems a bit crazy. It took us to a thingy one afternoon, like a car racing afternoon. I don't know what it was crap. What, what 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 does what does twenty footballer want to go and watch cars chasing around a, a trackball? And he thought that would be a good afternoon out for us. Like they weren't even allowed to drink, so it was even worse. But it was well, it was just mad. It was just madness. But as I said, as players, you don't really think about it. You just let let them crack on, and if if they've got the idiosyncrasies, that's that's just the way it is.
1: And and is that the same because some of those players that came in around that time as well? Because he wanted to sort of. We signed Rogerio. I don't know if you remember him. He was... Yeah, the striker. Possibly ...a Brazilian striker. And I think when he came on once, he went, he went and ran at left-back and someone had to tell him that, no, he was supposed to be playing up front. But what, what was that like playing with sort of him? I think there was Nicolas Mazzina as well, who was from Argentina and a Nigerian right-back. And Lufa Blissett was in as coach as well at the start. And then suddenly... Left. I mean, it all seemed a bit chaotic. Was, again, were you just kind of getting on with it because you were a pro?
2: Pretty much. I mean, when all, when all the, the foreign lads came in, you knew for a fact that they have got no chance because they'd never seen anything like League Two football. They didn't have a clue when they came, whether they were good players or what. They were never really going to get the chance to to play because they're that miles off it. I mean, John Baxley once tried sacking us actually when I were at York. We we went to Durham on a pre-season trip. A few of us—we shouldn't have done it, but a few of us sneaked out. Though I think there were Michelle, Gary Obson, Mike Basham, and Darren Edmondson. Like. One night, we'd obviously we'd not got a game or anything, so we went into Durham. So we're having a few drinks and whatever, and it's one of them where it gets to 11 o'clock and no one's ready for going home, so it gets to 12 o'clock, and, and it gets to half 12, quarter to one, and Eddie Shaw, the assistant manager, phoned Obo, I think, and said, look, where the, are you? And we're like, oh, well, we're just in Durham having a drink. Blah, blah, blah. Best get your backsides back here quick. And we're like, all right, okay. So we just have one more. We had one more. Anyway, because we get up the next morning for training, a little bit blurry-headed, but fine. And it, it was like the firing squad. Terry Dolan lined us up in a in a row and just went, right, who out right, last night? And it's one of them where you're thinking, do I put myself forward or what? And anyway, we all ended up owning up to it and whatever. And we got back from Durham. A couple of days later, the bachelor got us in the, in, in the boardroom. He said, right, I want to sack you all. And we're like, right, right okay but I've been told that you've got the PFA and everything and I can't sack you, so I'm going to fine you. I think we've got to fine a week's or two weeks' wages, definitely a week's wages, and you're doing community service. So we're like, right, okay. So what's this community service entail? We had to go to an old people's home, right, for six afternoons to to help. Now in Edmondson, we're cutting the lawns at this old people's home and everything. And I went went once, uh, and I said to the, the, the ladies as well, John you want me to come back next week? He says, oh, don't worry about it. I'll just say you came. So I only actually went once, which were, were Andy. But Ed had to go all six, I think. But he, he generally wanted to sack us just for going out for a drink uh, when well, we were away pre-season. But that's how crazy you were.
1: I mean, can, can he even make someone do community service? Surely that's something that the, the courts kind of tell you to do, isn't it? Well, yeah.
2: I mean, it, <laughs> it just—it just wanted to. he knew that he couldn't sack us. He'd find us and he just wanted to do something else to really tease us off. But as I say, I will look lucky, I only went once. It were uh, I actually quite enjoyed it playing dominoes with the old ears and, and whatever. It was actually
1: all right. <laughs> at what point did, did the players sort of realise that that the chairman was was con man's probably a strong word, but but you know of what on. I mean? He did, yeah, didn't didn't have the money that he maybe said he had, and and obviously the club were kind of spiralling out of control financially. Um, you know, at what point did the players kind of realise that was happening and and how did how were you personally affected i
2: think they definitely realized when the first wages didn't go in and they pulled us in for a meeting in the in the smarty room as it were called back then and just said look we obviously you've not been paid we can't pay you so like the lads is sort of going ballistic i mean to be fair personally it didn't affect me at all because i was still living with my dad so I, I i were on like I were, for a 19 year old kid i were, I were on really good money. So it, I, I didn't miss a month's wages, if you know what I mean. I don't mean, I don't mean that in a big-headed type of way.
1: You mean but, that you didn't have a mortgage to pay, for yeah,
2: example? Yeah, all, all I got was my car. My car, my 30 quid, 40 quid rent or whatever I paid to my dad. And, and if I didn't have a car, then actually I, I were not driving at the time. So so I, I, I didn't actually get affected by it. But I mean, when you're a League Two footballer, if you don't get paid, one, the end of one month, you, you you didn't bother. The lads obviously got mortgages to pay bills to pay, and and it really really affected some of our lads to the point where they were struggling to get in because they've not got no money to put petrol on the car. So it, it, it's scandalous really what what happened. But I mean, we went. I think we got paid two weeks' wages in in two months, something like that from the PFA. So the lads were really really struggling, and I think we we're actually doing all right in the league at the time as well, if I remember right.
1: And that was one of the other questions I was going to ask you was, do you think without that administration kind of coming in and kicking in and players leaving their contracts and stuff, do you think York City would have got in the playoffs? Because they were were pretty close to it in the end, but just the run towards the end of the season was was just sort of almost like the team ran out of steam. And I didn't know whether that was because of what was going on off the pitch. I think it definitely had an effect, or maybe not so
2: much on, on me personally, as I said, but on some of the lads. I mean, when, you, when you've got worries like that about paying your bills and uh, and paying your mortgage and paying your car and stuff like that, it, it it can't be good for a footballer trying to get himself prepared for a game on a Saturday or a, or a Tuesday. So I would definitely say that it affected affected the lads, yeah.
1: Yeah, because on the pitch, personally, you, you had a good season. You got 11 goals. First time you got into double figures. The next season, finances are, are you know, you come out of administration, but the finances are tight. Terry Dolan leaves his job. Chris Brass comes in. I mean, how difficult was that for players then? Because Chris Brass was a teammate of you, like you said, and someone who, who played just behind you when you were centre-half, but he was only 27. Was that quite difficult to kind of have the respect of someone who, who was maybe just slightly older than you? I remember sort of Mitch Ward at the time who would played in the Premier League and he was sort of mid-30s, yeah. yet Brass was a lot younger than him. How, how did the dynamics work there?
2: I don't think it did, to be honest. I just don't think it did. I mean, first of all, it's a massive responsibility for Brass at 27 to be a manager and playing still at the same time were too much for him, in my opinion. It'd probably be too much for anybody uh, at 27. Even though Brassie were sort of sensible, Steve, you know what I mean, one of them. But he, it was a lot for him, and it was strange because when when a player becomes a manager, they've got to change. They just have to change. I, I, you've been in a dressing room for a year, so you, you know what it's like, and then you've got it in your head real like, well. Well, that's not what you're like. But as I say, I had to change to a manager. Plus. Like, I was I living the life back then. I was sort of going out quite a lot, enjoying myself. And Brassy knew that. I mean, on a Thursday morning, I used to come in on a Thursday morning, my me, me eyes were all over me, all over my head. You know what I mean? I'd been out on a Wednesday night for at night. And then I'd go out on a Saturday night and some Sundays. So I was were, I were living it up being a footballer type thing. And now Brassy's my manager, knowing that that's what I'm doing. So it was it a strange one for me personally with the dynamics and everything. But... I think it was just too much too much for him as a 27-year-old, to be honest.
1: I mean, I know a lot of managers, and you've said it in your book, probably tried to change your, your kind of lifestyle or the way you think over your career. Did Brassi ever try to do that? And was that difficult to kind of, you know, well, hang on, you, you might have been drinking with me sort of six months before. Yeah, I don't know if he tried to change me, but I think it wasn't really...
2: Because you like a proper professional, Brassie, like, you know, did everything right. And I mean... It'll be the first shot, mate. he got limited ability, Brassie. But you knew exactly what you were going to get from him. I mean, that, that own goal that he scored when he's tried over head kicking, it hit him in the his Bugle and got in the far corner. That pretty much just summed him up. But I don't, it's like he never really said anything to me. But I think he got it in the back of his mind that I shouldn't be doing what I was doing. And Plus, he fetched Noggs in as well. Nogs, as his assistant manager, who also we played with. knows what a big character and he had to change. So it, it's a strange one because, you, as I say, you've been in the dressing room for a year, whatever, however long it were, and you know what characters they are, you get to know them, and then they change, which they do have to change, but then you're still thinking to yourself, well, that's not really you, and it's, it's an ad one to get your head around.
1: You might well have had that lifestyle, but but kind of on the pitch, you know, the last goal that you scored for York City was away at Cheltenham, which I think was probably one of the best goals you ever scored for York. I don't know if you remember it, The sort I think it was a volley from about 35 yards. I think you said to they're flat in the press, so it's cause you couldn't be bothered to, to run with it, so you just thought you'd you'd lever it.
2: Yeah, I can remember that goal to be honest. I didn't know it was my last one for York City, I'll be honest. I can remember it really it was probably one of the best goals of my career actually, thinking about it. When I said that today, it was obviously tongue in cheek a little bit. So I used to try like some outrageous stuff and I always used a joke with the fact that I just couldn't be bothered to run. So I just thought, oh, I'll 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 hit a volley from forty yards.
1: So, ben, moving on to the, the fact that you, you did leave York. I mean, York was sinking like a stone, really, that second half of the season. D- did you want to leave? Was it was it the fact that Macclesfield came in for you and, and kind of wants York City's accept a bid or or say that you can go? How how did the move come about?
2: I, to be fair, it were it were we were playing on a Sunday, so we were in on a Saturday morning doing a training, and obviously we train up at up at the training ground, went too away from the ground, and we get up to the training ground. Brassy and, and Nobles had forgot to fetch the balls up and the bibs and the cones for training because the youth team had got an away game. The youth team used to sort the, the balls and bibs out and fetch them up in their bus. And we got them. we got no balls or bibs or cones. So one team had to play in skins. One team had to play with no T-shirt on. We got we found one old ball in the training room, like out of shape and everything. And our on the team that had got the T-shirts on. And this is sort of January, this, so it's, it's cold. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, not really, it's not really great half of your lads running around with no T-shirts on in, in the middle of January when you've got a game the next day. So I was just messing about, you know, like picking mud up and throwing it at people's backs and stuff like that during training. And got to the game the next day, came in expecting to play. Brassie put the team sheet up and I was like, whoa, what, what's, that, what's that all about? So I thought to myself, right, I'm not having this, I'm not happy. So I went to see him. He said, uh, yesterday in training, you were unprofessional, you. I says, what, what do you mean? He said, uh, throwing mud at people's backs, it's unprofessional. And I just went, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute here. I says, right, so you're trying to tell me I'm unprofessional, right? When you're the manager, you forgot to fix the balls, the bibs and the cones, right? We've got one team around in January with no T-shirts on, and we're playing with a ball that looks like an old dog toy from your back garden. I says, that's that's unprofessional. I says, and you're calling me on professor for having a bit of cracking training, so I mud at people's back. He says, uh, he says, Yeah, it's you're out of order. I says, Well I'll tell you what, I says, I'm I'm not I'm, I'm off, I'm going home. He says, what do you mean? I says he says you're sober. I says, Well, I just went, nah, fuck that. I says, it's, it's, it's scandalous. I was playing yesterday. I'm having a bit of crack, I said, I'm going home. I went, got me my wash bag and I left. I shouldn't have done it. I just I just lost my head and went got my wash bag and I went home. I don't, I can't remember if he find me or not, He might have, he'd probably find me. But that was probably the start of the end, and then we played another game. I was sub for a game at home on a, a weeknight, and I came on, and I done all right. And then the next day, I got a phone call from my agent saying, "Macclesfield want to sign you," and I'm like, "Right, okay." Uh, the club have said you can go. I don't know if it more. I don't know if it were a financial decision or a Brassie were obviously raging with what had happened. Macclesfield was second bottom in the league when I went. It took me another hour on top to get there from home. But in the end, I just said, right, yeah, I'll go. And then, well, that aside from Macclesfield, and then and you know, obviously we we stayed up at Macclesfield and and York went down.
1: Well, that's it. And, and and part of that was what was significant was the goal that you got for Macclesfield, wasn't it, when you came back to Booth and Crescent? I think you got one and Graham Potter got the other. So it was a double uh, double heartbreak for York fans. But yeah, that 2-0 win for Macclesfield, effectively, I, I think, went well on the way to sealing York's fate. Did you, did you have mixed emotions then, scoring that? Because I think that was your first goal for Mac, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, to be fair, I played 16 games for Macclesfield and I only scored one goal them 16 games. So I, I like, when I first went, I had a shocker, really. But that one goal against York, and it, um, I think I celebrated in front of the Boverman, But It was more of a relief for myself personally that I finally scored for Macclesfield.
1: So I know you don't have any regrets for, of your career and or your lifestyle that, that you've kind of well publicised in your book. But did you ever think during your spells at Hull or Stoke or Preston that, that you could have maybe made that step up to the Premier League? Because, you know, I look back at your, your kind of stats. you got a lot of goals in the Championship. I think probably a quarter of your goals for your career were in that, at that level. And I remember going to watch you play at, um, at Middlesbrough. I went to university in Middlesbrough and I saw you play them in an FA Cup tie. Again, I don't know if you remember this, but Middlesbrough beat Hull 4-3 and I think you scored a penalty that night but, but yeah. I used to go to Middlesbrough a lot that season and Jonathan Woodgate certainly had more problems I think, I think with, with yourself and, and that physicality than, than I'd ever seen him have that season. Did you ever think how close you were to playing in the Premier League?
2: Same as you say, I've, I've got no regrets because I've, I've really enjoyed my life. Could I have played in the Premier League? I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm quick enough uh, to be honest. Probably ability-wise, maybe, but I don't know. Would I have changed that for enjoyment enjoy my life and all that sort of stuff i don't know if i would to be honest i mean even more so now but they're, they're so scrutinized i i, I don't think i'm able to do it i wouldn't to be able to change my life and i've been i've been in the papers all the time you know what i mean And would i have wanted that it's one of them you'll never know isn't it no no point thinking about it really
1: yeah because i just wondered maybe with stoke because of a style of football they played and sort of like Rory De Lapp's throw and stuff like that when they, you know, even when they went up to the Premier League they were still quite direct weren't they so I almost thought that Tony Pulis probably would have turned to you at certain points in that season I didn't know whether you thought oh, you know what I'll see how it pans out in the Premier League or, or did you just want to play because obviously at that point in your career as well you probably used to playing a lot of football and wanted to, to kind of play every week I guess
2: Yeah to be, to be honest the thing with Stoke I mean Tony Pulis wanted me, like myself or Mamadi Tadibi to play a certain role in behind Ricardo Fuller and if I, would have been, if I would have got a run of games, that would have been fine. I would have been able to do it, no problem. But throughout my career, I've always been better when there's been more games. The more games that I've played, the the better that I've been. It, when the season we went up with we Stoke, I, I think I might have started five or six games and came on in sort of 30 games as sub. Whenever, if Mama got injured or whatever, or if I did get a start, because I'd not played for the previous month, six weeks, I'd had sort of fifteen, twenty minutes, half an hour. By by half time, sort of sixty minutes, I were absolutely blowing out my backside because I needed to be playing week in, week out. I'd not really played in the in the champ. Well, not started that many games in the championship this season. We got promoted. We just signed Dave Kitson for five and a half million quid. We still got Ricardo. We still got Mama. I was sort of twenty six, twenty seven. It was a point where I thought I, I needed to go out and play games. And Tony Killers didn't want me to leave. And I took a like 25% pay cut to leave Stoke to go to Preston. So financially, it, it, it cost me. But in the long run, I, I ended up going to Preston and playing lots of games and, and doing quite well there.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I guess that's a bit like a boxer, isn't it? Who, who could do all the sparring in the world. But if they're not kind of fighting, they're not kind of getting in the rhythm. Is that kind of like yourself as a professional footballer, you needed that run of games to get you in a bit of a rhythm for playing.
2: Fitness wise, hundred percent. Hundred percent. I mean, rhythm is in actual playing. Some players can sort of miss a month, six weeks and come back and they're up to speed within a week, two. If I did that, it took me a month to get back to where I were before. Just I mean no matter no matter what I did on the training ground, how much running I did or whatever, it it's I still need the games to get fit and obviously I didn't think I was gonna get them at at Stoke. So I went to Preston and played quite a lot of games up there.
1: I mean, it looks to me, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, but Preston looks like it was probably the, one of the most enjoyable parts of your career that, you know, both on and off the pitch. I mean, it looks like there was a good set of lads that you that you kind of bonded with and I looked at that Leeds United game that you got a hat-trick in as well and, you know, it looked like that was a real purple patch for you at the time and a little step over as well, I think, for one of the goals and something I've not, not seen you do too much over your career but is that fair to say that that was probably one of the most enjoyable sections of your career?
2: Yeah I love Preston I would say it's uh, it is the most most enjoyable I mean same again I went to Preston in uh, like the second week of the season and I think Preston paid sort of 400 grand for us and I didn't score till December again similar to Macclesfield I got off to like a terrible start so personally I went, it weren't going great for me on the field but We've got an incredible set of lads, like really good characters, no arseholes in the dressing room and uh, we ended up being quite successful as well and once I managed to get score and I ended up scoring quite a few that second half of the season, which, which did we get in the playoffs that year? Yeah, we got in the playoffs that year, so as I said, we were quite successful.
1: And then I'm just sort of looking at some of your other clubs and, and looking for kind of uh, York City links and one of the ones that stuck out stood out for me was when you were at Fleetwood and uh, playing alongside Steve McNulty, and I I read that he he nearly killed you, didn't he, on a (laughs) pre-season training camp?
2: Yeah, I'd only been at Fleetwood a couple of days, and we went to Austria on his pre-season trip, and one afternoon we went kayaking one afternoon, you know, like a team bonding type thing, and I'd actually done it before, I'd done it previously with Preston, I think. So it's like a big lake, and there's a a dam at the end of the lake, and you've got to paddle to the dam and you get off the boat, put the boat over, it's like a I don't know, three, two metre drop the other side. So I knew that you've got to get up, get off the boat. So when we got up to this dam, uh, I've stood up. Big Mac has pushed me in. and The current's just got me. The current's got me, and I'm sort of, it's tied to take, take me under the current. So I'm managing to hold on to this dam. Water splashing in my face and, and whatever, and I couldn't hold on any longer. So I've, got, I've I've let go of this dam, and it's shoved me under the water. And as I've got under the water my leg got trapped around some wire or something. And obviously, I'm, I don't know how deep I were, but, some, but I couldn't get back to my legs because of the, the power of the current. So I'm underwater, sort of rag, trying to rag my leg out, rag my leg out. And I think I am under for about eight seconds, but it felt like, it felt like 10 minutes. I mean, when, when we spoke to the lads after, they were like really panicking. The lads were up there thinking, oh my God, it's, it's not a great situation, this. So I'm under the water and I managed to rag my leg clear. So, obviously, with a life jacket on, I've come up, I've smashed my face on another bit of wood off this dam, and then I've gone back under, and then I've come out about 15, 20 yards further down the river. But I've never never been as scared in, me, in my life. Could nobody would be able to get to me either, because if anybody had come, come under, that would have just got shot off with the current anyway. But, um, as I said, I managed to get my leg clear, and fortunately, uh, everything was all right. But if, if I'd have been at the club longer than a couple of days, I think I'd have put an awe around his face. I really would have done. He was club captain, you know what I mean? You don't, want to, you don't really want to come in and, and start having a fight the first couple of days. So, but yeah, I mean, I really I, I thought, I thought, I thought I would really shit myself. I thought I'm in, I'm in a, a lot of bother here. I mean, he could have been
1: looking at man, manslaughter charge, couldn't he? I think if I'd uh, I
2: know, yeah. Because I, I, I knew what we were doing. I were only one that stood up and he thought, oh, i him in for a bit of crack, not thinking that the current's just going to take me away. But yeah, so that's when I nearly died in Austria. So, so let's
1: move it forward to your second spell at, at York. I mean, you, you'd gone back into League Two briefly, hadn't you, at Newport County, and it was, you had quite a decent uh, start to the season as well. Then Graham Wesley comes in, which I think you said in your book, you, you didn't kind of, the training methods were never really going to fit with, with kind of what you wanted, certainly at that stage of your career as well. York come in, I presume there was no doubts for you about, about going back?
2: Nah, to be honest, obviously I've always sort of looked for the results when I left and, and whatever. And yeah, Graham West, never going to work with Graham West. I, I, I was 35, 36, something like that. And his training methods are just outrageous, which has obviously all been all been publicised. And my body just couldn't do it at, at that age. I mean, I'd had two or three operations on my knee by then. And if I played a game on a Saturday, I needed sort of the Sunday and then the Monday recovery day. And that weren't his style. So... I got a call from my from agent. I, in fact, I'd just been out for s- six weeks, eight weeks with an hamstring from his training methods. I played his first two games and I think I got back training on the Monday and then I trained on the Tuesday. And the agent phoned me on the Tuesday afternoon and said, Look, York want you to go back there. And I was like, Fucking hell, shite. That's the are shite. Because I've been watching the results. I mean, they got Dick to Gateshead six, Warrior, and Geisler six. And I've been watching these results and I were like, What on earth's happening up there? But it, I could move home, so I, obviously I wanted to get back home. So it was the perfect move for me. It was just a, a shame that we were bottom of the league. But as soon as I got the call, obviously I, I know Jason really well and it was a bit of a no-brainer for
1: me. Yeah, I was going to ask you about how do moves like that work in football? Is it kind of agents do the sort of foundation work and then eventually you, you speak to them? And what I was going to ask, was it Gary Mills or was it Jason McGill who, who made that first conversation with you?
2: It might have been Jason... I mean, to be fair, I had a chance, like, just, just previous to that, I had a chance to go to Eastleigh, and they wanted to sign us with Ronnie Moore, and I knew what sort of money Eastleigh were paying. They were paying some lads some ridiculous money, and, and, I, didn't, and I, weren't, I weren't being greedy and asking for that, but I just said, like, obviously, you just wanted to set my Newport contract over, and I know that there's players in that team who are, going, who are on a hell of a lot more money than that, so if you want me to come and play for you, I'll, I'll accept this, and I'll come and play Anyway, they didn't want to do it with that, so I said, right, fair enough, it's not for me then, and I got a call from the agent saying, York are interested, and I think Jason phoned me, he said, look, obviously you might have seen, you might not have seen how we've been and whatever, and uh, but I, I felt Gary Mills back in, and uh, he's going to build a team that's got a chance of staying in the league. I will come in anyway, I'll be honest with you, I will come in anyway, but as soon as Jason had said that to me, I was like, yeah, yeah, let's get it done, and I drove up on the Tuesday night. I think I came in and signed on the Wednesday and then I trained on the Thursday, trained on the Friday and played away at Chanmere talk- uh, on the Saturday.
1: So the brief will have been simple then, just keep us up then, I presume?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, come in, Milsey said, look, I'll work with you, you, I'll work with you, whatever you need. If you're, if you're in my team and scoring goals, I, I'll do anything. It was brilliant, brilliant like that, Milsey. Yeah, some managers sort of pigeonhole play, like every player's got to do the same thing. Millsy weren't like that. I mean, if I say, if I went to Millsy and said, "Look, I'm feeling, I'm not feeling great. Any chance I can get Monday, Tuesday off?" He'd say, "Yep, yeah, see you Thursday. No bother. As long as I'm ready to play on the Saturday." And I think that's what makes him such a good man manager. He he looks after every player differently.
1: And I guess there needed to have been some respect there as well. That you know, not everyone could go up to him and say, "Right, can I have Monday, Tuesday off." Otherwise, the whole squad won't be in, would they? But was it that you kind of felt? That him trusting you to kind of know your own body at that stage in your career, but you would then do the do the job for him on a Saturday.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I mean, it wasn't just me. If any if any of the lads need a day off for anything, it, it'd give them that off. And if a manager's like that, and you know that he's looking after you, you've got that extra that extra yard for him. Which that you shouldn't as a professional footballer, you shouldn't really have that extra yard. But if you know if you're playing for a manager you all like, you all respect, and you really want to do well for him. The squad that Millsy got in, everybody had, bought, everybody had gone the extra yard for him.
1: I was looking at that Dover game, which we'll come back to later on, because it's, it's mentioned in your book, but that seemed to me like the turning point almost for the team that, that kind of that result, you know, sort of kick-started the squad. Did it feel like, like that to you from that? Because it's a long way to go, Dover, isn't it? And, and kind of, I think most people are expecting York to get beat 2-3-0 or because they were up, up near the top of the table. But getting that point seemed to sort of spark a bit of a run and, and a bit of a belief. To be honest, even the Tramia game,
2: after the Tramia game, I mean, they scored in the 90th, 92nd minute, something like that. And we were well in the game. There weren't much in the game and they were sort of, I think it might have been top maybe. And I, and I came in after and I just said, right, I said, something along the lines of, that's a, that's why they're top of the league and that's why we're bottom of the league. Because I think it might have been, I don't want to dig him out, but I think it might have been runes who switched off back, back stick and let somebody run in, let their winger run in behind him to, to score the winner. And I just said, that's, that's the reason that we've, we've switched off for three seconds and it's just cost us a point. And obviously looking back, that point would have, would have kept us up. But going back to the Dover game, I mean, they were up there flying. It was it always a hard place to play Dover. Even when I went with, with Forest Green, it was were, it were a hard place to play. And if you said we'll draw two all before the game, you just snap their hand off. But we had a great chance in the last minute. I think I slid it through to Enti last minute, and he's one on one, and the keeper saved it. So we should, we could have won that game, and, and I know you say we'll go back to it. and I know why we're going to go back to it. A point, or a good result, but we could have quite easily got three points if if, if Enti had slotted that in, we'd have we'd have won the game, and then whatever we're going to talk about in a bit, would have all been like, oh well, it worked then.
1: Yeah, I mean, it must. I was thinking it must have been quite strange for you in that in that side because you know. Gary Mills seemed to, you know, quickly assemble some good players. You were all on good form. And it must be weird because normally at that point on the run that you were on, you'd be up near the sort of top of it, you know, certainly in the top half of the table, yet you were kind of like always against the tide based on kind of damage that another team had done sort of before you. So was it quite strange that you were winning games, yet you weren't really going up the table?
2: Yeah, I mean, it always seemed to transpire that whenever we won a game, the teams rounded us winning win a game. And when, whenever we whenever we lost a game, they they might have nicked a draw or might have been wrecks from at home. We, we were out of it, out of the bottom four, and then we went one 0 up in that game, and then we lost three one. But uh, it was it was frustrating because same as I said, whenever we won, the other teams won. Uh, I mean, if we'd have got sort of three four points out of it, it just gives you like even more belief when you go into games that you can you can win and and stay out of it. And and if you have got if you are drawing, you know that you're not going to be slipping back into it if you just get a draw. So you've not got that pressure and thinking you need to win every game.
1: Did you feel a bit of extra responsibility as a a kind of leader or or anything? Because obviously you were sort of towards the end of your career and and it almost felt like you were a massive focal point in that that team that Gary had kind of put together. And if if plan A wasn't working, then plan B would often be to get Sam Muggleton off the bench to kind of launch it from a throw-in to you, did, did you feel any extra pressure or anything or were you just kind of used to it at that point?
2: The, the pressure, well, mainly the pressure that put myself because I'd signed for York first time and they were, they were in the bottom two. Uh, I signed for Macclesfield, they were in the bottom two. I signed for Hull, they were in the bottom three. I signed for Scunthorpe when they were in the bottom three and I'd never been relegated and, and I, the last, I didn't want, I didn't want throughout my whole career, the last thing I wanted to have a, a relegation on my CV, that was just a more of a personal pride thing. So the last thing I wanted to do was get relegated. I felt I felt the responsibility to the chairman, because I've obviously known him for that long. I felt the responsibility to Millsy as well, because he'd brought me in, he'd got me home, got me living back at home. The, to the fans as well, because the, the fans have been through a lot, a hell of a lot, and and they they are a, a an incredible set of fans. I just wanted to do it for everybody, really. I just wanted us to stay up for everybody. But o- obviously, we in the end, we, we, we just couldn't stay up that last day.
1: Well, that's it. Let, let's talk about that, that game, Forest Green. I mean, were you thinking sort of the night before, it would be quite ironic to kind of beat them, given that Mark Cooper was in charge of him and he was the one who kind of maybe turfed you out of Forest Green? And what what's your memories of that game? Because obviously you got two goals in it. And I sort of watched it back last night but. You know, the celebrations when you scored each one, it obviously clearly meant a lot to you.
2: Yeah, I would probably say there's them two goals, one goal that I scored for Hull which against Leeds, which we won that game and that was secured in the championship. We've got enough points. I celebrated with that passion in that goal. But apart from that, they're probably the most passion I've sort of celebrated with. Because so I, I knew how massive it were for everybody. It weren't even a case of it's against Forrest Green and Mark Cooper. I, I, I weren't really asked about that at all. It was just the fact that if we'd have stayed up that day, it would have been like one of the biggest achievements of my career.
1: Yeah, and what about that silence at the end? I mean, I've never known anything like it in, a, in it any were, football game I've ever, it winter.
2: It were unbelievable. It really were. I mean, the fact that the Forest Green fans are, are such a respectful bunch, that's just how they are. Some teams you might have played against, they might have started cheering or whatever, you know, the away fans, but they they literally just, but I mean, you could hear a pin drop. It was so, it was like so disappointing. That's the worst I've ever felt about anything during football by a, by a country mile. The fact that the effort that we put in from sort of November, December, the effort that we put in as a group, the results that we got, and for it to end like that, I mean, we we. I said to Mark Noble, is it Mark Noble, The their the Liam mean, Noble, is it? Liam Noble, sorry, yeah, Liam Noble. They were cemented. They couldn't move in their spots in the playoffs. For the first fifteen twenty 20 minutes of the game, we never p- touched it. We never touched the ball because yeah, they kept the ball and and whatever. And we were just chasing about. And obviously they went 1-0 up and I'm thinking, oh, fuck, this is like, with with no chance here. And then them overplaying, Hesse nicked the ball, slid it through, managed to get to 1-0. And then they scored again. But we got in at half time and we're like, right, guys are losing whatever I think were guys Guys are losing at half time. So we said, right, well if we if we get a goal, if we get a goal, unless you hear anything, we're fine. So we're like, right, and then obviously I managed to score again. I mean sc- scoring a goal is brilliant, but them them two were right up there for me, like as I said, the, the emotion from myself. But I'm not really an emotional person. But that that they were like, Wow, we could do it here. So I says to Liam Noble, so about 65, 70 minutes. I says to him, right, we're fine, you're fine, right? We'll just, we'll take two all eh? And he's like, yeah, no, well, that's fine for us. Uh, so we were like on the pitch joking about, right, well, we'll not try and score you and tell the lads just to just to bring it in a little bit, will you? I said, you've got another game. You've got another game soon in the players you don't want to get anybody injured. So it's so and then we, we, I mean, Acer Hall had an incredible chance at a header that, I remember Verdane had an incredible chance first half with his sort of three, four yards out and somehow it's gone over the bar and then you get the, you get the news, we need a goal and it's like, not half not, switched off but we took his foot off the pace regarding, we knew we were safe and said we need a goal, it just couldn't get back going And but I think we still had a chance, I think we still might have had a chance uh, in that last two or three minutes but same as you said, when the final whistle went, it's the worst I've ever felt on a, on a football pitch it's easy.
1: And was that the same in the dressing room afterwards?
2: Yeah, I've never been in a dressing room that's been that disappointed from, from being relegated. It was just quiet, just quiet. And obviously, Millsy came in and he said, look, obviously, thanks for your efforts. You couldn't have really done any more. We've got a game in three weeks at Wembley. My heart sank even more back with that cause I, I did not want to play in that game at Wembley at all. I'd not gone there to win the, the FA Trophy. I'd gone there to, to to keep the club in the league. And I felt as failed, he, even though... Uh, I managed to score, score some goals. Uh, I still felt as though I'd failed.
1: Like, like you say about the, the Wembley, it was, it was difficult. I think as fans as well to sort of motivate yourself to go. And it sounds strange, doesn't it? Because you should never sort of sniff a chance of playing or, or going to watch your team at Wembley. But but I know what you mean. Just that extra point, you'd have swapped it for Wembley. Did you, did you feel that, that FA Trophy run might have taken a little bit out of the players? Because I know of some of those games towards the end of the season. You mentioned Wrexham earlier, and another Bromley game as well, and. Do you think there was a little bit of... Because obviously each game that you play might take a little bit out of the locker or, or do you think that's, that's irrelevant?
2: No, I don't think it did because,
1: as I said earlier, for me
2: personally, the more games I'm playing, it, it, the better I am. Millsy gave us plenty of time to rest in between.
1: So I don't think it did. It well, If you're winning games, it, you get the momentum. Moving on to the next season, how long did it take you to decide to stay on? And Was Millsy a, a big factor in that? Yeah, it worked to be honest, because I, I, had, I had offers from other
2: teams in the conference, teams that I wouldn't have had to move out either, who were offering me a lot more money as well, I had to think to myself, right, I'm really disappointed that we've got relegated. I want to try and make amends, really, and an extra X amount a week playing for them. Uh, like I'm not, I'm just gonna, I'm willing to sacrifice that. Millsy came and so, well, we, we can give you this. So I said it'll considerably less than what I could have got elsewhere, and uh, know that for a fact. But the fact that I love playing for Milsey, I felt guilty that I'd come in and not helped the team stay up. So I, I just got to the point where I went right. Well, I'll, I'll sign it. Yeah, no, bro, no problem. And and I got it signed, and some of the other lads signed as well. And I think a lot of them will have all signed because of Milsey. Don't get me wrong. You know, from the, the the from sort of November December, a lot of lads had a good end to the season where they could have gone on and got moves elsewhere. As I said, for me personally it was guilt really guilt that I'd come in and not done the job that I were asked to do even though I'd scored I don't even know how many goals I scored that when I came in that season
1: 16 I think it was a mixed start to the season wasn't it and, and I presume a lot of that is kind of maybe transitioning to the fact that you're playing at the likes of Blythe Spartans and Bradford Park haven't you? you know a different kind of mentality I guess to, to play in, the, in these different teams but do you think Gary Mills was sacked too early because it did seem quite early on in the season I think it was October time that he you got the sack. Yeah,
2: I do. To be honest, I do. I mean, going back to the mentality thing, I was used to that because I had, I dropped down from the the championship to that the, the twenty five thirty thousand stadiums to go in and playing at Boreham Wood for 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 Forest Green and and I think that's a it, it's a mentality where you've just got to think right. Well, I'm here. I'm here. I'm doing my job. We're well, not thinking crisis is a shit all in it. It's like, look, this look at state of this because. You're already you're already like pissing in the wind. When you get to one of these grounds, you think you're thinking I'm better than this. Well, I'm not better than this because I'm playing in this league and this this is the ground that's in league. So if I'm better than this, I'm playing at an higher level. So for whatever reason, or I'm not better than this, so you can't really have that mentality of being a bit big time. Oh, I'm too good to play you. I mean, the first game of the season, we battered Telford absolutely battered them. Did we get beat 1-0?
1: Yeah, the only shot they had in the game.
2: Yeah, we absolutely battered Telford. One of them games, we we've, we've had, you had 20 chances and we just couldn't score. And the second game were Blythe Spartans, I think. And that were that was the first weird game we'd had and they were like, Jesus Christ, look at this. But, still, i managed to do a job and I managed to score, I think. Yeah, I managed to score and then I, I think I tweaked my hamstring then. yeah, I had to come off with my hamstring so I were out for however long I were out for and As I said, I think what what, what, what position will we when Millsy got sacked fifth? So I I genuinely believe if we'd have kept Millsy, we we would have really been challenging. I really do. Because Martin Gray came in and he starts fetching his own players in and and whatever. And then you've got that sort of month, six weeks transitional period, new manager, and then we're even further off it then when he comes in and, so I, th- I think with, with Mills yeah, I think, I think we'd have really been challenging I really
1: do what was your relationship like with Martin Gray because I mean I think you scored in his first game the Brackley home game you got a free kick in the last minute and kind of personally on a personal level obviously you, you got 25 goals on 20 in the league was that quite demoralising to kind of finish mid-table having kind of done your work
2: yeah I think I got on well out right with Martin Gray I don't think he wanted to in fact he didn't want to, he didn't want me, he didn't want to play me to start with I know for a fact as soon as he came in he said look I want you to I want you to come on the, the coaching side, like come do a bit of coaching and all that. And I was like, all right, no problem. But I think he was just sort of tickle my belly with that just because he didn't think I was going to be playing. So he was just trying to pacify me and keep me sweet sort of thing. And then obviously I scored in his first game and after probably a month or whatever, I think he realised that even though I were 36, 37, whatever I were, I was going to I was gonna be a, a big player for his team. and. I think I scored 25 in 32 games that year, but unfortunately, my knee went in February. February, and we, I think we were in about third when I got injured, uh, and I needed to have an operation on my knee, and we never, we never won a game. I mean, Martin Gray fetched too many players in who weren't good enough. So, and I'm not just saying it because it was me who got injured, but when I got injured, there were nobody to replace us. We couldn't score. I don't think we won a game for sort of ten games. While I were injured, we just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And then I should have been out for, should have been six weeks with me. The surgeon said, look, six weeks minimum, because I've had, that would be been my fourth operation. I mean, he said, look, six weeks minimum. And we'd still got a chance of getting in the playoffs the last game of the season away at Brackley. I got myself back a lot quicker than what I should have done, really, just to, to be on the bench against Brackley. For myself, personally, it weren't, it weren't a, the best idea because then um, the season after, I, mean, I was struggling with me the season after. It was so, uh, it's been so for the last seven or eight years. But like, I'd sacrificed myself to hopefully play a part in getting us in the playoffs that last game. And I said, I came back two, three weeks too early, really. But because I was trying to make amends for us getting relegated really the season before, trying to get us in the playoffs, I felt as though I, I needed to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I felt frustrated as a support of I remember playing Salford at home and, and York City won one nil and Boone Crescent was bouncing and you, you know Salford were obviously one of the favourites to get promoted with the money that they'd spent. But then the week after we'd go and lose four one at Curzon Ashton and I could never understand that you know like a performance like that could then be followed up by that and that kind of how it felt under Martin Gray That we sort of flattered to deceive. We'd have a good performance but then we'd, we'd lose somewhere where we probably shouldn't have lost. What do you put that down to as a player? Not, not you personally, because you know, like I say, you've got the goals. But I think to a certain extent, I think you've got to realise as a fan that
2: the level that you're at, and there's, a, there's reasons why players are that, at that level. Either they've been at bigger clubs and dropping down the way, trying to rebuild their career. They're either 38, 37-year-old coming to the end of the career, and that's why they're at that level. They've either been in bother with, with, at some club and again, trying to rebuild the career. Or basically, that's just their level. That is just how, what the level that they can play at. So if you've got, there's a reason why that's their level. There's obviously the talent, and then there's the inconsistency. Because the best players are consistent, so uh, they'll have one bad game in eight, whereas when you're at that level, you might have two good games, one bad game, two bad games, and, and that's the the inconsistency as part of, why people are playing at that level.
1: Moving on to the next season then, um, obviously, again, a bit of an indifferent start and then Martin Gray is sacked quite early on, I think five games into the season. And then Sam Collins comes in as caretaker and then takes over permanently. I sort of thought from the outside that that would have been a kind of good decision from your point of view because you used to kind of travel in with him when you were at Hull, didn't you? And you were quite good friends with him. Why did that kind of not, not work out for you? Same again, I think
2: Sam came in with the attitude that I weren't going to play straight away. Uh, and So yeah, I used to travel in at Hull with him. I mean, he, he came to the night and and wedding, Sam, we were a good friend. Even the start of the season with Martin Gray, I was absolutely furious, like absolutely raging. I'd scored, previous season, I'd scored 25 goals in 32 games, I think it were. I had an operation on my knee, I'd busted my balls to get back three weeks early to try and help the team get in the playoffs. And I was, at the start of the next season, I'm not starting, I'm not starting the next, the start of the season. When but as I said, i just scored 25 goals. Surely I'm, I should be, no matter what my age is, no matter it, no matter how old I am or or whatever, surely I should be one of the first names on the team sheet just from the season that I just had.
1: And like you say, you, you kind of need a run of games as well, don't you? So, so kind of managers must must be aware that you're far better to play a run of games rather than kind of coming off the bench here and there.
2: Yeah, so I, so I, was, I was furious, absolutely raging. And then obviously Sam came in, I'd not been playing. Did I play his first
1: game? I think I might have played his first game. I remember going yeah. Hereford away, and I think you played.
2: Yeah, so I'm I might have played five. his first first game or first two games. But like I said, I I'd, I'd gone from February to the start of the six February to sort of September without playing football matches because the pre-season games. I mean, they're not they're still not the same as the the first team games. You, you can dress them up as much as you want, but they're still not the same. And so I'd gone from. February to September, we aren't playing no first team games. So same as again, I need, after an hour, I, I was blowing out my ass. So whether he whether he conscrewed that as right that it, it can't last longer than an hour, so I can't start him. Instead of, sort of coming and asking me and saying what what I said, and I said to him, look, play me another two games, three games, and then and you'll see you'll see the difference, and I'll be able to get to the end of the game. No bother. So I think that's why I weren't sort of playing under Sam to start
1: with. I mean, obviously, your you, you kind of podcast is starting to take off around that time as well, isn't it? And then there was that kind of argument that he, he gave you a, a day off and you went, was it Amsterdam or somewhere, somewhere you mm. went, I think? And then when you came back, he kind of hung you out to dry a little bit on the radio. Was that kind of like the final straw with you and you and Sam?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it was, like, as you said, the podcast was just starting to take off. And I think i think I got a, a, a lot of unfair criticism for that regarding people thought I was more interested in that than what I were, the football. That weren't the case at all. I was 37. I was looking... I was starting a, a new career, really. I was doing it on my days off, which, which is obviously it weren't it affecting my football. I mean, if, people, if, if I'd have been going and coaching coaching for the full day on a Wednesday and coaching on a Thursday night and coaching on a Tuesday night, people would have not thought, well, he's not bothered about his football because he's coaching. It was just a different thing. Obviously, the, the first time that we, we, we started doing the, the away day videos for, a, for his YouTube channel, the first one we went to Germany, for Hamburg St. Pauli. And I said to Sam, look, it's been booked for, for three months and we, the game got rearranged. We got this game had been called off and rearranged for the Tuesday after hour in Germany on the, the Sunday. So I said, look, obviously, it's been booked for three months. Can I go? He's like, yeah, no problem. I'll see you at the game on Tuesday night. So i like, brilliant, that's that's fine. So I went to Germany, obviously Kate got back and, and whatever, and we're 2-1 down on the Tuesday night, and I came on and scored, we drew 2 all, which weren't a great result against the team that we were playing against, whoever it were. Bads come on and scored, so nothing got said about it. Same thing happened again. We booked to go to Amsterdam, I think it were, to do a video, go to the game and do a video, by this point, he's under pressure. now fact that they'd, they'd not won for ages, and he still weren't playing me in the team, even though we we weren't getting results. And same thing, we got a game rearranged for the Tuesday night, and he. I said, "Look, can I get it off the Monday off?" He said, "Yeah, no problem. See you at the game Tuesday." And went went obviously made the video for the video. I've got a pint in the airport like early Sunday morning. That's gone out on the video. I mean, we did start. We did. We, I did have a pint that uh, early that Sunday morning, but we weren't drinking from that Sunday morning. That was just a thing for the video. Not, it, it were not a prop because I did drink it, but it was like a, a visual thing of what this trip could be like for you. We did, We weren't boozing from half seven in the morning all the way through. We got to Amsterdam and whatever, and then the Boston game. I weren't in the squad for the Boston game away. We got beat 2-0. And then quarter past five, half past five, my phone's going ballistic. My Twitter's going absolutely ballistic. And I'm like, I'm looking at it and people are like disgraceful, unprofessional. Like you're getting paid all this money. You don't give a about the club and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, what's happened here? So I messaged uh, one of the lads. I said, what's, what's happened? He said, oh, he's, he's only had to dry on on the radio. And I'm like, right, what, 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 what's he said? So he said something about, obviously, people, lads were eating Doritos or something on the bus. And he said, I've even got one player drinking at the airport on a Sunday morning. So obviously everybody knew who it were. So my phone's going ballistic. So I thought to myself, right. And the, the lads were actually going on the Christmas duel that night. They were driving from Boston to Newcastle. Because I weren't in the squad, I was going to meet McDonough on the way up. And I was that, that raging that I, I didn't want the Christmas do. The first one I've missed in 20 years or whatever. So I never went on the Christmas do and because the results would have been out of the word, he got the lads in on the Monday. So the lads had gone out on the Saturday and all day Sunday and then had to come and train in training on the Monday. I got in early to see him, I thought I'm not having this. I says, it's uh, it's out of order, this, what he's what he's done. So I went into the training ground early, he weren't there. They were training on the Astroturf, so obviously I, I weren't training on the Astroturf. So he never came back to the training ground, he went straight to the ground so I thought now nah, I'm, I'm having him so I went knocked on his door burst into his door he sat at his desk in his office and Dave Penny sat there and I think Dave Penny could tell with me first. Dave Penny just got up he went I think I'm gonna leave you to it I said I think you fucking better do mate yeah so I've gone in sat down I said are you taking the piss he says are you taking the piss I says wait a minute he says what why am I taking the piss he says I give you the Monday off and you, you drink at the airport on a, on a morning. I says, well, well, tell you what, tell you what, right? So I've got the, the Monday off. You've given me the Monday off, right? So what I do with my, my, my Sunday is nothing really to do with you. You've given me the, the Monday off. He said, uh, you can't be doing that X, Y, Z. I says, well, tell you what, the video's been out for, for four days now. You've not said a word to me about it. So you've left me out of the squad for the Saturday. You've got dicked away at Boston. Right, the crowds all be giving, giving you pelters. You've done your radio interview after, and you've hung me out to dry. He says, uh, "Well, do you not think I deserve to hang your out to dry?" And by this point, I'm I'm absolutely boiling. I said, uh, "I says I'm getting dog's abuse now off the fans on Twitter and whatever." He said, uh, he "Says I'm getting dog's abuse." I said, "Do you know why you're getting dog's abuse?" And I, I, I'm shouting, like I'm shouting, spitting. You know what I mean? I'm, I says, "The reason you're getting dog's abuse, mate, is because." You're the manager of York City and they're 15th in the National League North. That's why you're getting dogs abused. But what you've done is you've tried deflecting it onto the players for eating Doritos and me for doing what I did. So we're patting them forwarding and whatever for a good 10, 15 minutes. I says, look, we're getting nowhere here. I says, you're out of order. You're absolutely out of order. And you know you are. And I got up and stormed out and I bumped into Lisa on the way out and her office is like sort of across the hallway she said uh, not happy are you I said, no no she said i could hear you fucking shouting and bawling and that's the first time that i've ever once with graham alexander but that's the first time that i've ever like properly shouted and, and bawled at a manager and i just thought it went out of order i just didn't think there were any need
1: scapegoat for a, a, a game you didn't play in and you asked permission to go i mean if if he'd have said no you can't go on that trip would would that have been then at- that you just wouldn't have gone
2: I wouldn't have able to go now because York City were my employer, that was my job. The fact that he realised that it wasn't going to be in my career when I finished playing, it couldn't, not really, well he could have, of course he could have not given it me off, but it would have been a bit out of order for him not giving it me off. But it, it, as I say, it was just the fact that I've not even been playing in the team for the previous six weeks or whatever, and then he's used that opportunity to try and blame everything what would have been wrong on the pitch on me, which I thought were totally out of order. At least have the balls to say, like, I'm picking the wrong team or whatever. I mean, do you
1: think, do you think that might have been because it was his first job in management and a bit like Chris Brass that we talked about earlier? But maybe that that kind of not having that experience of how to deal with certain players and
2: the fact that he never came to the training ground before training and never came to the training ground after training said to me that he knew what were what were coming. He was trying to hide, do you know. what I mean, trying to, hopefully it'd all just settle, but I weren't gonna I weren't gonna let it settle. But I mean, it's. <laughs> He's been in football long enough to know that that's out of order to do that, whether it's your mate or it's his first job or whatever. I, don't, I think to a certain extent, the, the, the York fans it sort of tarnished the last sort of six months that I were there, really, because, same as I said, people thought that I were more interested in the podcast.
1: What was my next question, to be honest, John? I was thinking that, you know, because I vaguely remember about the time, that was probably about the time your book was already out and there was obviously things about the drinking on the Dover and did the book just kind of tell the truth on the kind of drinking culture? So I listened to Under the Caution. A lot of stories are about kind of like the crack and, and stuff like that. And I wondered whether, you know, when you played at Forest Green, was it the same? I mean, you might have been having a vegan pie or whatever, but was there a pint there?
2: And I can remember one of the games that we went, We've ended, we went back to the hotel and after we've had his afternoon in the ball, and me and Simon Lappin went and got a pint from the bar and Millsy came in and said, what the fuck are you doing? He says, well, we're just going to have one before dinner and then that's it. He went, no, you drink when I tell you you can drink. So hmm. we're like, right, okay, fair enough, we apologise, we didn't realise that that whatever. It were all not structured as such but it were all under Mills's sort of, like, leadership that we went and had another pint and they and were fucking raging with us for it. Do you know what I mean? Which were even more surreal, the fact that we'd just been in, in the afternoon. But, yeah, I mean, towards the end of my career, I obviously, tape, I obviously tapered it down just because I'd got all stuff going on. Whichever whichever football club, whatever level I were at, if I'd worked all week and I'd played a game on a Saturday, why shouldn't I go out for a drink on a Saturday night? I, I, I like, even... Even the top lads, nah. I mean, when Noan Rooney got dobbied for going to that wedding, he just played a game. Why shouldn't he go and get pissed? Why why, why why, shouldn't he? We're only still human beings, you know what I mean? We still like a drink. Just because we play football, I don't mean we, we don't like a drink and night out and go out and socialise. And, I mean, even throughout my career, if we won 3-0 or if we lost 3-0, by quarter past five, I'd totally forgot about the game. If I'd scored or not or what. Because I can't do anything about it. And then I get in my car and then I go home and, I, and I'm back to my normal life then. It, it's always just been a job to me. It's, it's my and job.
1: I, and I wondered with, with that as well that whether the drinking kind of thing that, that people point the finger is, is really linked to success and failure because at the time when York City drew at Dover no one knew about fact that, that you'd been for a game of Skittles or whatever and, and had a drink in a pub. But then when the book comes out it's kind of like 18 months later or whatever it is that people are oh well if we'd have won there then, then we'd have would have stayed up. Do you see what I'm saying? So if we had yeah. a stayed up, it would have seen as oh well, that was genius to go there to the pub. But but is it? that, that but this just happens in football then.
2: Yeah, I mean obviously if you've listened to the podcast, not as much now. It's not the same now. But the you're listening to the like, the the young the younger lads in the dressing room were at York last year. Or they're like Jordan Burroughs and Sean Newton, who are sort of twenty twenty eight, twenty seven, twenty eight. Uh, so they're not they're not young, young, but they're like, is that what it really used to be like? Is that what football really used to be like? And we're like, yeah, and that were across the board. You play on a Saturday, you go in Monday, you work hard, you go in Tuesday, work hard, and all the lads go out on a Tuesday night. And then they obviously sleep it off Wednesday, come in Thursday, work hard. But then on, you come in on a Thursday morning and everybody's laughing and joking about what's happened on the Tuesday night. So the atmosphere in the dressing room is good on a Thursday morning. And then it gets to the Friday morning and everybody starts switching on to the game. So people think that, oh, they're going out drinking, they, they, shouldn't, be, they shouldn't be going out drinking however. But the camaraderie in a dressing room, if you've got a good dressing room, it's worth 15 points a season. Com- in my opinion, comfortably worth 15 points a season. Same as I was saying earlier with Millsy, if you've got a manager who you've just got that extra yard for, that's, what, that's, that's the same. But yeah, that's how football used to be. And I weren't going to change... I wasn't going to change because that was my life and what I what I did and what I enjoyed doing. Well,
1: that's that's what Gary said to me on the podcast. He said that you know he asked you what what you like to do and, and said, well, you've you've had a good career on it, so why change it? And is that that about man management then and people kind of understanding what the best get out their players?
2: When I went to Preston, it was just staying a hotel on a on a Friday night every home game or Monday if we got a home game on a Tuesday, and and I'd have like, I'd have fish cakes and a, and a Marriott burger on a Friday night. And then I get up on a Saturday and I and I go down and I'd have a full English breakfast for my pre-match meal, and I end up sco- I end up top scorer and, and and winning Player of the Year that year,
1: doing that. So is that wrong or is that right or what? Well, I mean, your you, your careers that speak for themselves, don't you? I? I mean, think that's what, what you can say to that. Were, were you te- were you disappointed with how that final season panned out though? Because I, I thought at the start of that that you would be eschewing to get sort of close towards two hundred and fifty goals by the end of it for your career and. You know, it felt at the end that, you know, like you say, people, once a book came out in the pod, and Sam Collins said that, comments about you, that it, that it kind of like almost tarnished it a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, I'd made my mind up that the Monday, I was winning on the Monday saying, look, either I'm either staying at home or you give me my money and I'll just leave. And then he got sacked on the Saturday after the game. And then that's when, that's when obviously, Watto came in from there. But I, I do not feel as though it tarnished it because... I'm not I don't want to big myself up, but I was th- thirty-six when I came back, I think. If you if you look at the statistics from when I came back to when for, for games goals to games, it was probably sort of one in two. And a lot of them that se- that last season was substitutes appearances, which, which sort of killed the killed the, the ratio. But if I'd have scored sort of twenty what did I score, twenty five. I think I scored forty five goals in seventy games. If I'd have been 20-year-old, I'm I'm getting a fucking great move from that. You know what I mean? One of, like, League One, League One, even maybe lower championship, are coming and taking a chance on me if I'm 21-year-old. The fact that I'm 36, 37, like, it got washed over, I think, that, like, how many goals I did actually score when I came back as as an old man. I think it did get tired, to be honest. I mean... Go back to the two goals against Forest Green. I think you could see what the club meant to me in the them the, in mean that league. You can see what it went to me with the two goal celebrations. I mean, the, if it weren't for York City, the, York City pretty much saved my career. Really, because
1: I would have jacked it. Just moving it back onto your, to your podcast because obviously that, that's what you've been doing since since you've kind of finished football. Does it does it fill the void? I mean, like you sort of mentioned before that you've almost sort of seen football as a job and you're able to switch off at quarter past five or whatever it might be till the next time you go to training. Um, I just wonder what, what's the sort of aftercare like from the, the PFA? Because you mentioned before that you've had three or four knee ops, And I remember reading in your book that you had kicked having injections in your toe after, before every match. And that obviously can't be good for you physical health what did a PFA kind of try and look after players once they've retired
2: yeah I think you, you're always a member so you can always go back I mean if you need an operation mm-hmm. they'd help you out with an operation or whatever and luckily for me the one thing that I were going to miss about football was the banter and, and the crack between the lads and luckily for me I get that from the podcast so if I'd have not been doing the podcast I think I'd have probably struggled with it but as I say I'm fortunate that I that I do the podcast and, and, and I get my banter from that. But to be fair, the PFA are good. But I think year on year, especially the mental health side of things, people are getting more more help from them. They do do a lot for players that, that probably goes unseen.
1: With, with Under the Cush, how does it kind of work? How do you go about getting guests? And is it is it scripted or do you just kind of get the guests in and then kind of see how it pans out? Well, to be fair, the first, the first probably 30... Thirty,
2: forty—probably thirty of them were lads who we'd played with. Myself or Chris Brown, the other, the other footballer. So it was basically just getting lads in, doing us a favour, really. Because I didn't even know what a podcast were until I got asked to go on the first one. I didn't even have a clue what one were. And so I said, like, "What's what would we be happy with numbers-wise?" Said, "Well, if we can get to five thousand listeners a week, that's quite good." And we've like just shot a four million downloads. We've got now. Looking at eighty thousand uh, an episode, people are listening or watching, which is like outrageous, really, to say that we're just an independent. You know, like the the big boys are Peter Crouchers and that. We've got the BBC funding and all stuff like that. There, I don't know what numbers they get, but I know when I went on the Magic Sponge with Jimmy Bullard, I was, I spot their guy down there after, and he said they were getting eighty thousand a week, and that's Jimmy Bullard and Rob Beckett and uh, and Ian Smith, and they're like. Big big guns, you know what I mean? One's a comedian, two comedians, one's on one's on telly arts and Jimmy Bullard. So we've managed to get it up to that, that level.
1: Because, I mean, the content itself, I mean, you know, the guest fairy, which is what I like about it, because you can have someone like Mark Crossley one week where absolute stitches with some of his stories. And then you get someone like Clark Carlisle, where it's quite an emotional kind of ride talking about mental health. And then Leon Knight, I just came away with a massive headache after I listened to him. <laughs> I mean, is it, does that make it quite exciting that you don't quite know what these guests are going to now that the people that you haven't played with?
2: Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, we obviously knew Clark Hiles would go down that route inevitably because it's a massive part of his life. But now we just get people on now, and we do as research. So we go through the clubs and players, who the player we managers who they played under. It's not scripted at all. We just it's half like we're winging it, and we don't we don't know what's coming. So when we're laughing at stuff on the like on what what people are saying. We're genuinely laughing, like people who are listening to it would be when we finish. You can say, right, that's going to be a really good one. That's going to go down that route and that route. And and there's been so many recently where people have spoken about the mental health after the podcast, like after football. And Clark allow a bit different because he's a lot during it. But I think it's giving people a, a an idea of how hard it is coming out of football and at times
1: how hard it is in football with how you get treated by some managers and some clubs. And how has sort of the COVID situation affected under the caution? Because you had quite a lot of live dates kind of lined up, didn't you? But but I, I think during lockdown a lot more people are listening to podcasts now.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've got, uh, we had a live tour, uh, sort of 15, 16 date tour in July, August. So that's obviously going to get quashed and delayed, but we'll, we'll get that back up and running again. This Zoom, this Zoom's been uh, sent for us because we had we had sort of a month's, a month's worth recorded, pre-recorded already. And that, that was sort of done within six weeks of us as lockdown. So the Zoom's been brilliant for us. So we managed to keep doing it. The videos are not as good on the YouTube because obviously it's like this screen and you can't see people's reactions as much. And it's obviously tough when two people go and try and talk at the same time. You, we managed to keep churning them out and they're still good quality, especially on the audio, which is, which as I say, it's been a godsend for us.
1: And just to finally finish off, just uh, some sort of quick fire questions really. Who's the best player that you've ever played with? couple.
2: I mean, for the careers, Craig Bellamy, for the career that he had, were obviously really good. Not, not so much when I was with him at Cardiff. Nick Barmby, all were an f- incredible footballer. Peter Whittingham, who sadly passed away not so long ago. When you, when you asked me the question, do you think you could have played in the Premier League? I think Peter Whittingham should have played in the Premier League a lot more than what what he did when they went up with Cardiff. His his left foot were outrageous. He were really, but he were a little bit like me in in the fact that I don't know if he'd have wanted all that stuff. Was he quite a shy, shy, quiet lad? I don't think he'd have wanted all that sort of spotlight on him as such. But to be fair, Cardiff, like he were getting paid really, really good money at Cardiff because they never wanted to sell him. So a, a yard of pace more. And he could have been right up there with I'm talking top top players.
1: And then and then against I know you mentioned before was it Sergio Ramos playing in a pre-season friendly?
2: Yeah, Ramos Canavaro. Or Canavaro. A, yeah, Canavaro playing against Real Madrid, but yeah, uh, they were they weren't bad to be fair.
1: And what what's the best goal? Would you say we've we talked about a few of your goals over this interview? What, what would you say was your your favourite goal you've ever scored or your best goal you've ever scored?
2: Favorite. The whole, the whole one were up there because obviously, as I said, it kept us up. Uh, the one at Wembley because my little boy got to see his dad score at Wembley, which at the time he weren't really that bothered. Well. we probably still in, to be honest. But when he gets a little bit older, he'll he'll realise that. Even though I didn't even want to be anywhere near Wembley that day. If the two goals against Forest Green had kept us up, they'd have been right up there.
1: And, and then, just finally, who was your? F- Favourite manager? I mean, you've played for something like 31 managers, I think you'd, you'd mentioned in the previous interview. Yeah. Who would you say got the best out of you? Millsy
2: got the best out of me, I think. We already treated us and I, and I looked after us. And but Alan Irvine at Preston, he was were, he were the same. Not surprised to know that I were always at the back of every pre-season run. Alan Irvine knew he, he knew that I was trying my best. So, if I, say if we'd got two minutes to get in this run and I got in in two minutes, 20, it, it wouldn't be sort of berating me for that he could see that I was trying as hard as as anybody else. As I said, the pre-season we did with and Irvine were probably one of the toughest ones I've done. I didn't make hardly any times out of any of his runs that pre-season. Started the first game of the season at home to Bristol City and we're losing 2-0. We scored on 84 minutes and I scored on 89 minutes. So played the whole game, so it didn't matter the fact that i missed every time in every run through pre-season because it came the first game of the season and I was still fit enough to score in the 89th minute to get us a point against Bristol City and that's what he was really good at, at recognising I think
1: OK John absolute pleasure speaking to you thanks for giving it your time
2: no problem
3: at all thanks for having me on thanks to John Parking there hope you all enjoyed that tried really hard to kind of asking questions that were York City specific really I know that a lot of interviews that he does he tends to get asked the same questions about the same stories and I was quite keen to try and get an inside track on things that maybe York City fans didn't know or we weren't kind of privy to and expand on things that were maybe in the book that people might have taken out of context possibly so hopefully that will have achieved that I certainly think from all that interview you could see his passion for York City you know, without doubt he went on the record there to say that if it wasn't for York City and his life might have gone a completely different direction we do now have an extra episode coming next week which will be the final episode in this third series at some point I'm going to have to go back and concentrate on my day job there will be a little break there with, with the podcast but yeah we've got another special one coming up next week In the meantime you know to help us with those future series if, if anyone could donate to justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio it makes a huge difference we've had so many donations so many positive comments people wanting to sponsor episodes and stuff like that so it's really nice to know that the York City community are, are helping support our podcast it allows us to kind of keep doing them really so thanks again and uh, see you next week